ever noticed how you can learn weird things at different weird times? I mean, things that you weren't expecting. God has a way of using people and circumstances that we don't expect to teach us things. And if you'll remain teachable, I'm talking about right up into your, your later years of life, you can learn amazing and interesting things from even little kids. My, my grandsons were here this last week, and my grandson, Kyler, taught me a little saying that I've been using all week long because it was, it was just like, where did you get that? I don't have any idea where he got it. But something about, if you do that, I'll give you a shiny new quarter. My six-year-old grandson says that to me. I'll give you a shiny, no, no, it wasn't that. It was, I did something well, and he said, you deserve a shiny new quarter. I thought, a quarter's all it takes? Okay. I knew from then on I had him. But God will do that. He'll, he'll use unusual circumstances and unusual expect, unexpected things to teach us. And if we will just stay teachable, it's interesting how he'll do that. Um, this week, we're going to look at a place in Scripture that's kind of an unusual place of Scripture because it's one of those rare times in the life of Jesus where he actually leaves the country of Israel. In fact, as far as I can tell, it's the one time that he leaves, at least to the north. Now, he goes east over across the Jordan and across the, 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 the lake of Gennesaret there, and you could say he was outside of Israel. But anyway, this is the one time he's going to go all the way up to Tyre and Sidon, and we're going to learn some things from this story today because this is a marvelous lesson about prayer. It's a marvelous lesson about faith, and it's going to be really interesting because we're going to learn them from the life of a Gentile. If anybody should not have known anything about faith, if anybody should not have known anything about prayer, it would have been this woman because she wasn't even a daughter of Abraham. And we're going to find out a lot more about her. So if you would today, as, as God teaches us from unexpected teachers, let's turn again to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter number 7. We're going to take up right where we left off last week. Mark chapter 7, we're going to begin in verse number 24. <clears throat> Jesus has been, uh, you could say that this is another time when he's trying to get a place of rest for his disciples, and, and it does seem to support that from the, from the text here. But as he goes here in verse 24, you read along as I read aloud, chapter 7, verse 24 starts this way. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre. And when he had entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it, yet he could not escape notice. But after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now, the woman was a Gentile of the Syrophoenician race. And she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he was saying to her, let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered and said to him, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, because of this answer, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed and the demon having departed. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this event from the life of your son as he was here ministering on this earth, Lord God, let it be instructive to us today. Seal the truth of this scripture to our hearts today. And Lord, challenge your church, challenge your family to respond to you in faith, to respond to you with prayer, and to cry out to you with great faith. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This lady, we never know her name, 
All we know that she was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician. Uh, over in Matthew says she was a Greek. So she was not somebody from around here, if you would think of it like that. But this lady had a faith posture. And by the way, you know that faith is one of those slippery words because you can, it's faith, you can have faith, you can do faith, you can be in faith. It's, it's one of those words that means a lot of different things. But this lady, she had a faith posture that puts many of us today to shame. She had a prayer posture and a prayer uh, intensity that puts a lot of us today to shame. She had a prayer and faith seriousness that literally, as I've been studying it this week, I've had to do some repenting and say, God, forgive me for not being more like this lady. Because, well, in fact, as I say some things, I'm going to use prayer and faith a little bit interchangeably here. But I want you to see that it was really, it was her faith that drove her to request of Jesus this thing. It was her faith that sent her and informed her prayer. It was her faith that empowered her prayer. So, Think about that as we study this lady a little bit because I want you to see some things about her. What she have against her? You know, sometimes we think that we, as, as members of a church or as we as members of a, of a family or whatever, we have a, a way where we can at least kind of get in with God. Some, that's, that's wrong, but we, we might sometimes come to that conclusion. What was against this lady? She was not of the race of the Jews. In other words, she was not a daughter of Abraham. There were several times when the people were picking on Jesus and saying, why are you doing this on the Sabbath? And he said, look, it was right for me to heal on the Sabbath. This person is a daughter of Abraham, or this is one of the sons of Abraham. This lady had no standing to say, I'm a daughter of Abraham. Listen to me. She couldn't do that. She wasn't one of these people who could come and say, look, I've, 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 I've fulfilled X, Y, and Z of the law. Therefore, today I'm pure. Today I've, I've given my, my, uh, my, my sacrifices today. Therefore, because I've fulfilled the law, you, you should give me this. She had none of that. She had no hold, no right to ask. She had no heritage of background where she could come to God. She was not part of the chosen people. And so because of that, she would have had no expectation when she came to Jesus that he would do anything for her unless it was entirely out of mercy and grace. Be like the neighbor kid from two blocks over and one house down coming over and knocking on your door and asking for supper. Really? You, are you hungry? Yep. It's supper time, isn't it? I smelled it from clear over there. Would you give that child supper? Well, it kind of depends. If you had extra, maybe. I don't know why you would or why you wouldn't, but it would all be about your mercy and grace, not because they deserved it. Well, that's what she was doing. She came in what was utter, utterly a hopeless situation. She had it was, for herself and for her daughter, there was this hopeless situation. And in that, we can see that this lady, and along with her daughter, was a, 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 a beautiful type of all of us. And we're going to see that as we continue through this. Because this lady was without God, without hope, and in the world. She was a Gentile. She had no call, no, no uh, uh, background, nothing that would allow her to be in this race. Because there's nothing you can do to change your heritage. You can't go back and be born all over again as a Jew. Now, you could join the Jewish religion, but she had no heritage where she could go back. She couldn't earn God's mercy. Did you know that you can't earn God's mercy? You can't earn God's grace. You can't. She couldn't do that. She could not rescue herself or her child, which is a very accurate picture of every person, uh, every one of us has ever been born as, as a sinner in the race of Adam. Every one of us, because we grow up on this planet. We can't deny our sin nature. You know, you don't have to teach little children to take things that aren't theirs. You don't have to teach little children to lie. They figured that out all by themselves. 
You can talk to a kid who's got Cheeto dust all over them. Did you eat the Cheetos? No. Who taught that child to lie? They didn't have to be taught. That's the sin nature. And it's there in all of us. We can't deny that. That's why the Scripture says, and we have to admit, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, because we all have. We can't change that. We can't do enough good to overcome that. You know, you can start off today and do something good every day for the rest of your life, and it still would not cancel out one sin. Because sin is not canceled out by good. Sin is canceled out by the blood of Jesus. We can't do enough good to earn mercy, and we cannot rescue ourselves. That woman found herself in that very situation. Even though she was asking for her daughter, that's the situation she was in, knowing that she deserved nothing. So what did she do knowing she deserved nothing? She asked anyway. And that's what I want you to see about her. Because before this encounter, she left, well, excuse me, before this encounter was over, she left having her request granted, and, and everything that she had asked for was, was done. And, you know, I may not understand everything about prayer. And I don't. And I may not understand everything about faith while I'm on this planet, and I surely don't at this point. But I know this, and Scripture teaches very clearly that God responds to faith. Okay? The Scriptures tell us that God responds to faith. Prayer mixed with faith is pleasing to God. The Scripture says it like this, that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth what? Much. Not only that, but the Scripture says, Though who come to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. God responds to faith. Why then, knowing that, do we allow ourselves to be talked out of these faith principles? We allow ourselves to be talked out of these prayer principles, and we, we kind of like give up on it. This event, this true event in the life of the Lord Jesus can teach us an awful lot about faith. And in fact, let me put it this way. This event, this woman, can teach you what kind of faith it takes to move the hand of God. What kind of faith it takes to move the hand of God. Now, someone must bow up and say, no, wait a minute, Brother Robert, just a minute. You know we cannot change God's mind. Well, okay, that's theologically correct. We cannot change God's mind. God never changes. And Robert, you know we cannot move God's heart. Well... Somebody else would theologically say, and you cannot influence God's hand because God always does what He wills. He only does what He wills, nothing more, nothing less. And what they'll try to tell you is they'll read something like this and say, because Jesus wanted to do this all along. Well, I would, I would say let's rewind that tape even further. Why did Jesus even go to Tyre and Sidon? God was able to tell that there was a woman in Tyre and Sidon, I was up there by Tyre, whose faith was crying out, God, I'm looking for you. And why did Jesus go up there? Because God responded to her faith by sending the man of God to take care of her need. You see, God responds to faith. And the faith mixed with the power of God, it wasn't her faith that was the power, it was the power of God that did it, but still God responded to her faith. I'm convinced the only reason Jesus went up there was to meet with her. There's another place in Scripture in John chapter 4 where it says Jesus was headed north, he was going back to Galilee, and it says he must needs go through Samaria. It's the only time he ever must needs. He never went through Samaria any other time, but that time he did, must needs go. Why? Because there was a woman at the well that God wanted him to have an encounter with. And they, he set it up. God sets up these divine encounters. When the faith is in the person and the power of God is ready to move, she already had this faith. Now Jesus was going to give her a chance to demonstrate it and to teach it to you and me. So are you interested? Would you like to know what kind of faith it takes to move the hand of God? 
What kind of faith it takes to have God set up a divine encounter? Well, I want you to look at this closely because by the end of this, you'll see that you can have this. This is something we can, by His power and His grace, bring to the table. So let's look at this closely. And, and, and I understand if you, if you get bowed up about it and you need to talk to me later on about theology, you can come up and apologize to me, but after, after the church, okay? <clears throat> Number one, well, let me, let me say, how would we describe it? How could we modify it? How could we quantify her faith? And then we need to know also where did it come from. Number one, her faith was tenacious. Tenacious. Now, that's not a word we use an awful lot in 21st century America, tenacious. What does that mean? Well, I can tell you this, every toddler in the world knows what it means. Because when they want a piece of candy, they're tenacious about it. How many times do they say, please? I don't know. I can't count that high. You know, as you, you know what a mom and a dad, but that's not her actual title because to a toddler, that's mom, 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 mom. You know what I'm talking about. There's a tenacity about a child. We just naturally have it. Well, that's what this woman had. She had a tenacity. She had this, this, this what it means is, the word simply means you don't know the word quit. You never give up. I don't know if any of you have a situation like this, but when I was a little kid, my parents had, well, I was, y'all know what ADD means? I had that before they knew what it meant, okay? And uh, <clears throat> my parents needed to find something for this little six-year-old boy. I was living in McAllister, way out in the woods, nothing to do. They, what, what can you do? And I was just circling the house. So this is what my parents did. They bought me a hatchet. Now, understand, Six-year-old boy, that can be a dangerous thing. But we're out in the woods. Chop wood, Robert. Chop wood. Six years old. Chop wood. What am I going to chop? I don't want you to cut down any trees, but out there by the pond, there was this big pond, and right beside the pond, there was this, it was a, a, a log. It had to be a 55-gallon barrel thickness of this log. Chop wood, Robert. I want you to chop that in half. Dull axe, six-year-old boy, 55-gallon. Was that going to happen? It did, because a ADD kid, he's got to do something. Can't keep my hands still, but there was a tenacity about it. I, it was challenging me. I went back to it and I went back. This woman had that kind of tenacity. She pushed through the indifference that she felt, at least from the Scripture here, it looked like there was some indifference from the Lord. She passed by the dismissal. It wasn't dismissal, but it looked like it was. She passed by that. And, and over in Matthew 15, as we're going to see, the event is, is also recorded. She even pressed through when the disciples said, get rid of this crazy woman. She's driving us crazy. Now, some of us will look at this story, and we try to explain the tenacity of this woman, say it's a mother's love. That explains it. She was desperate to have her child taken. She, she needed relief for this little baby, this little girl. It doesn't tell us how old the child is, but it says her little daughter several times. So it was a mother's love, the love of a mother to desperately take care of a child, or, or, or the pity of a mother to say, I see how my child is suffering, and I'll do anything to stop that suffering, or there's the concern we might say in 21st century America. But my question is, do we ever go in tenacity? Do we have that place where we finally get so desperate that prayer is going to drive us on and we're going to keep at it until we never give up? Or do we quickly give up? Because when it comes to faith-filled prayer, are we tenacious or do we quickly give up? I, I want to know, do we stick with it like we're desperate? Kind of sometimes depends on whether or not we really want God to do it. I mean, it's on my prayer list. I got this list, and, and sometimes we're guilty of this. We'll get a long prayer list, and we forget even what it's all about. But you let somebody be at death's door, 
and you'll start to cry out to God and you won't leave your knees until he's moved or you've seen something happen. The idea is we've got to decide whether or not the thing we want God to do is worth our tenacity. Okay, and what I mean by that is are we going to shrug and say, oh, well, I guess God doesn't want to do it, or are we going to keep at it? Because there are going to be times in your life, and you'll find them, maybe you've already been through one or two, where you'll just need to persevere. Even when it seems like God is not listening, even when it seems like God is silent, you're crying out of all of your heart, you're going to need to persevere. God never dismisses your prayer, and God always answers prayer. But sometimes he's going to wait to see if you're serious. He's going to wait to see if you've got enough tenacity to keep after it. You may have to demonstrate that tenacity to push through what appears to be indifference. You may have to have the tenacity to get over the idea of whether or not you deserve an answer and you just want God to move. You're going to have to press through when even fellow believers will tell you, you know God doesn't do that kind of thing anymore. Some of us have heard people tell us that. God just doesn't move like that anymore. I mean, after all... The other one that I hear sometimes is, who do you think you are to ask God to do that for you? He didn't do it for me. I prayed 25 years ago and it didn't happen. What makes you think he's going to do it for you? I'm sure that that woman heard something very similar from the disciples. As, as I mentioned, they, over in Mark, Matthew 15, they said, this woman crieth after us. Please rebuke her. Send her away. This crazy Gentile woman. But her faith, the faith that was the kind of faith that reached God. Listen, it was a faith that was tenacious. But not only was it tenacious, it was humble. She had the faith that was uh, uh, filled with and, and infused with humility. Because interestingly, as we read here in chapter 7 again, it, it's, it's, it never says one thing about her saying, Hey, Lord, hey, uh, you know, I'm, I'm the best woman. In... By the way, she might have been the best woman in that town. She might have had wonderful good works. She might have been Mother Teresa incarnate. She might have been the greatest thing that ever, that ever happened to that town. But she didn't mention that, did she? She never said, you, des- you give me this because of my good works. She didn't even come and say, look at my innocent daughter. My daughter's innocent. She's suffering. Why should she suffer? You need to do something. She never said that. She never had any idea that she could tell or twist the arm of Christ to say by some earthly pedigree now you you should do this for me no she came crying out to God through the Lord Jesus recognizing that she had no standing realizing that she had no right to this help and removed from the covenant of promise she still came she was humble though when she came with no standing in fact some of us sometimes and this is so sad you can see it happen where we kind of strut into the presence of God Lord here we are and We'd like to have a cheeseburger and a Coke. You say, nobody talks to God like that. Oh, yes, they do. The lack of humility in the church today is stunning and frightening because this is God Almighty we're talking to, the creator of the heavens and the earth. This is the Lord of glory who shed his precious blood for me and for you and for us to strut into his presence like we're ordering a Coke. Come on. This woman shows us the humility that we need to come into his presence. She bowed down. In fact, look there in verse number 20, um, 25. It says, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. That word there literally means she worshipped him. She came in abject worship to say, I'm, I, I can't do this without you. With simple recognition was, Lord, unless you do something, there's no hope for any of us. 
that humble faith that drove her to her knees also drove her back to Jesus again and again and again. And we need to check our prayer life periodically. When we come to God, are we there to list our accomplishments? Are we there to list our good works, to say, Lord, here's my faithful giving, therefore I need this? Look, the other side of that, and many of us do this too, is we'll go to God and say, Lord, you just don't understand how I've suffered. We'll go to God and we'll say, look at my, my broken heart, oh God, won't you respond to my broken heart? Look at the tears on my face, oh God, won't you respond to my tears? God responds to the name of Jesus. Because the world can go with many tears to God and get nothing. She had to come humbly, like a child. She came like a child trusting in the heart of a loving father. But remembering now, even for us, we need the same thing. We need to come in that same way, trusting in the heart of a loving father, understanding that it's the name of Jesus. And I'm talking about even today, preacher man, I don't go to God unless I go in the name of Jesus and by the blood of the Lamb. Only that gives me standing before God. So her, her faith... Realizing and recognizing is still all of grace. Her faith was tenacious, her faith was humble, but then her faith was specific. I like this about her. She didn't go praying for some kind of generic blessing. Oh, Lord, bless me indeed. That sounds so spiritual, doesn't it? That sounds so pious. Oh, Lord, whatever you'd like to bless me with, I'm just ready for it. Good luck with that, by the way, because you're going to spend a whole lot of time getting nothing. She went with a very specific result in mind. She kept her eye on the prize. And then when she asked again, did she ask for something else? No, she asked for the same thing. Why? Because she kept her eye on the prize. She named it again and again and again. Christian folks used to understand that. We called it the principle of importunity. And in the Scripture, from Abraham all the way to Jesus, this scriptural principle is very clear. If you remember all the way back at Abraham, what was his promise? You're going to have a child. You're going to have a little boy. You're going to have a son, and through that son, the promise is going to come. And through him, all of the nations of the earth are going to be blessed because Jesus is going to come in that same line. Abraham had that promise, and for 25 years, did he rest on that one promise? Well, he did, but he asked a whole lot more. He went back to God a bunch and kept asking and kept asking and kept asking. He went on asking. Jesus taught it in the Sermon on the Mount, the same principle of importunity. You might remember it. He said, ask, and you shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock, and the door shall be opened unto you. And if you read that, I don't read Greek, but I'm told by Greek scholars that the Greek verbs that are there, it means ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. In other words, don't give up. Be specific. Keep on asking. It's the principle of importunity. Lots of times we talk ourselves out of specific prayer and we'll tell ourselves, well, you know, I prayed for that, but it didn't happen, so I guess it must not have been God's will. That's vaguely possible, because sometimes we do pray amiss. But if God puts something on your heart, and you feel the promise and the priority of God in your heart to pray for something, if God puts it on your heart, you know why it's there? Because He wants to do it. Keep on praying. Don't give up. Keep on asking, particularly when you're praying for others, because it's what he wants to do. 
there are some things we know. Your sanctification, that is always God's will. Salvation, that is always God's will. The, the, the kingdom of God growing on the earth, that is always God's will. Now, that doesn't mean we're ever going to take over the earth, but I'm talking about more and more people being added to the, to the kingdom. We can pray those kinds of things because that's the kind of faith. The faith is tenacious, the faith is humble, the faith that is specific, that moves the hand of God. Now, let me give you the fourth one. And this is going to sound a little uh, contradictory, but it's not because this woman proves that it's possible to be both humble and bold. She was both. She was both humble and bold. I want to read it to you from chapter... This is Matthew 15. I want to read it to you from Matthew 15. Same exact event, but listen to the the slight differences. And this is interesting. Verse 21, this is Matthew 15. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman came out from that region, began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Notice how she addressed him. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came to him and kept asking him, saying, Send her away, for she is shouting out after us. That means some time went by, doesn't it? She chased him around a while, shouting after... Okay, verse 24... But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, your faith is great. Be it done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Now, I wanted to read that for you again because I want you to see the boldness of this woman because she was insistent in prayer. But not only was she insistent in prayer, she was persistent in faith. It's like she knew this is going to be a battle. I'm not giving up till I win. She was resistant to doubt and denial. She had heard about Jesus, but she also knew that this visit to Tyre and Sidon was a very rare occasion. This might have been her one chance. She was determined not to go away empty-handed. So, as I begin to close, listen to this. How much like our faith, well, let me back it up. How much like her faith is our faith? Is your faith tenacious? Is your faith humble? Is your faith specific? Is your faith bold? How much like her faith is our faith when we cry out to God? How much like her prayer is our prayer when we're crying out to God? And understand, we can see here, she came to this moment with some conclusions already about Jesus. It says in verse 25 of chapter 7 that she had already heard about Jesus. Scripture tells us in the the Gospel of Luke that there were people from Tyre and Sidon who had come down to see Jesus and been healed and gone back. They'd gone down to be healed by Jesus while he was ministering by the Sea of Galilee. They'd gone back to Tyre and Sidon. This woman had heard she had what I would call hearsay faith. She had heard that there is this prophet named Jesus who is the son of David. She had heard that he could heal people. She had heard that he'd fed 5,000. She had heard that he had walked on the water. She had heard about him driving out demons. And she had come to the conclusion, she had faith that Jesus could do that. Kind of like the the assumptive faith. Like I could assume that this chair is going to hold me. If I sit down in it, that proves my, my faith, right? Well, it just proves that the chair is strong enough. That's an assumptive faith. I've seen, well, Kelton sat in it, so it must hold me. That's basically all it is. Faith that. She had faith that Jesus could do it. She had faith that. He was able. It's a presumptive of faith. He had done it. He could do it again. Well, in verse 26, she's moving further in. And in verse 26, she kept on asking. And that was faith that his power was available to change the life of his daughter. 
There again, we see her tenacity. That's still faith that, though. And verse 27 shows, shows that she understood that even when God doesn't answer immediately, it doesn't mean God's saying no. That's one of the neat faith principles we can learn from this, by the way, is that when God says not now, it's not mean not never. Jesus said it's not right to give the, you know, let the children be satisfied first, for it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. That didn't mean never, that meant not now. There's something else that has to be fulfilled, something else we have to go through first. She was willing to be temporarily ignored, to be temporarily rebuked, even sent away, but she persisted because she had faith that he could. She had faith that she could, call, uh, that she could ask, and the Old Testament command is still there for us today. By the way, importunity, I mentioned uh, Abraham had it. Isaiah taught it too. One of my favorite Old Testament verses, and this is one that I don't use much because it's something for your private prayer time. But in Isaiah chapter 62, verses 6 and 7, there's a place where God reminds his people, keep praying and don't you give up. And Zerba's thrown it up on the screen there. It says, on your walls, O Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen. All day and all night, they will never keep silent. You who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourselves and give him no rest until he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. You see, God wanted to make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. And so he assigned these prayer warriors, these watchmen, to keep asking, well, God, if you want to do it already, why in the world should I keep asking? Because I told you to. Is that good enough reason? Well, it should be. But he says, you take no rest for yourself, and by the way, give God no rest. See, God responds to faith. God responds to that kind of tenacity. Take no rest. You know what that means in Oki? That means keep pestering God till he brings about his will. It's like this woman did. But please notice, Jesus did not stop simply with when she had faith that Jesus would. This sentence that sounds like a pretty stinging rebuke when he calls her a dog, when he says it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs, which really literally he was calling her a dog. That's a pretty stinging rebuke. What he did that, he did that on purpose to bring her to a place and a moment of decision so that she could break out of faith that to faith in. To come from faith that there was one who could to faith in the one who would. That's where he's got her right now. Where he says it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She says, yes, Lord, I know I'm a dog, but I'm trusting in the Lord of the table. I'm trusting in the master who is in charge of the table that even the dogs will get the crumbs. Because what she was saying was, I'm trusting in your heart. I'm trusting in the heart of the master of the table because I know that you will allow even me, even though I don't deserve it, you'll take care of me because I'm asking. He broke her over that faith that into faith in. And in that moment, Jesus said it this way over in chapter 15 of, Ma of Matthew. Woman, great is your faith. Your faith is great. I wonder, as we sit here this morning, have you broken over that barrier? Have you, have you broken over the barrier that, that that Jesus forgives? I got faith that Jesus died on the cross? Or have you come to that place where you have faith in the Lord who died in your place? And it's not based on anything I bring to the table. It's not based on anything I can do, nothing we have earned, but just simple faith in the one who alone can give us and grant us that mercy and grace. And where does that faith come from? Well, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. 
Scripture says that very clearly in Mark, or excuse me, in Romans chapter 10. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by hearing the word of the Lord. This woman, I wonder how many times she rewound that tape and told herself again, though, that Jesus can take care of my daughter. Jesus of Nazareth can take care of my daughter. Jesus, the son of David, he can take care of my daughter. And she preached that to herself over and over and over again until the faith rose up in her. By the way, you can preach yourself happy. I've done it. I've preached Sonia happy. Usually right when I say the end. But the fact is, the more you preach the gospel to yourself, the more faith rises in you because faith cometh by hearing, even if the hearing has to come from your own lips. And how her joy must have exploded when she heard, He's here. He's here. That one you've been talking about. That one who can take care of your daughter. He's here. God brought it all together so that His grace and her faith could come together and ignite into a blazing hope. And the power of God drove out that demon. And Jesus didn't even have to go to her. It just happened. Because of the, the, the power of God in response to the faith of that woman. Have you placed your faith in the one alone who can save? There's a story from many, many years ago. In fact, it's about 400 years old about a lady who her, her son was sick. And she took the, the, the boy to the doctors in those days, very, very limited medical care, obviously. But they said, yeah, this, do, this, this boy's got sailor's disease. See, what they'd been doing is they'd been living on nothing but cabbage soup for months. Well, sailors out at sea would have the same diet over and over and over, month after month, and they'd, they'd develop something called rickets. It's a, a debilitating disease. You could see in some of the old skeletons they found where the people had rickets because they ate the same diet too, too much. Well, they, this little boy had rickets. It was developing. And she said, what can I do, doctor? What can I do? And the doctor said, well, there's only a couple of things you can do for this. You've got to get that child some fruit, uh, some, some oranges, maybe a lemon or two, get some grapes, something. This child has got to have some fruit. Well, it was the wrong season for fruit. So basically that was a death sentence for the little boy. And the woman didn't know what to do, so she's taking her little boy home, and she, she, she goes to work the next day, and on her way to the place where she goes to labor down in the city, she goes by this beautiful mansion. She doesn't really know what it is, but through the wall of this mansion, there's an iron gate, and she can see in there a greenhouse. And inside the greenhouse, which in those days would have been called an orangerie, she looks in there, and she can see luscious grapes, coming from a vine, and on another side, there's a lemon tree, and on another side, there's an orange tree right there, just right where she could see them, but she couldn't reach them. And she thinks, if I can just get some of those, my child can be better. My child can come back. If I can just get some of those. If it, well, so she starts to shake on the iron gate. Chunka, 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 the way only a mama could. Well, inside the greenhouse, 150 yards away, there's a man looks around. He's got a clipper in his hand. He sees it. Waves are away. He goes back to his job. Chunka, 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 chunka. Waves are away. Chunka, chunka, chunka. Finally, he comes out. He's still got his clippers in his hand. He said, lady, do you know whose, whose house this is? This is the house of the duke. And you don't just come and start banging on the wind on the, on the gate. She said, oh, no, you've got you to listen to me. My son, she tells him the whole story about the rickets, the whole story about the fruit. She says, if I could just have some of that, if I could just purchase some of that. She, and the man says, no, you don't understand. This belongs to the duke. It's for the duke and his children. Nobody else gets it. That's why it's inside the greenhouse. You have to understand how expensive this is? She said, well, I can pay. He said, no, you can't pay. You don't understand. It belongs to the duke and only his children. Nobody else gets it. 
And she began to cry, and she got on her knees, and she pleaded, would you please, just, just maybe a few grapes, just anything, just for my son. And, 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 and she began to move the great heart of the man, even though all he had was his clippers. <sighs> all right. He opens the gate, closes it behind her, and they walk into the greenhouse. She's never smelled the smells that she smelled in this greenhouse. Just beautiful. It smells like springtime and summertime all mixed together. And he says, come over here. Hold out your apron. She holds out her apron, and he begins to load her down. Three or four lemons, a couple of oranges, big, big cluster of grapes, a bunch of cherries. She didn't even see the cherries, but there they are. And now she's loaded down. He says, you take this as a gift from the duke and go take care of your son. She says, oh, well, where's the duke? I'd like to talk to him. I'd like to say thank you. He says, I am the duke. And I'm giving it to you as a gift. She says, oh, no, no, let me pay for it. I need to pay for it. I need to give you something for it. He says, no, no, you don't understand. If you don't take it as a gift, you can't have it. Because I'm responding to your asking for it. A lot of times we think we've got to earn what God gives us. We can't. A lot of times we think we're somehow going to someday get around that corner where God's going to give us what we need because we've deserved it. No, it'll always be grace. You can't add to his gift of salvation. He never asked you to. He wants you to receive it by faith, simply as a grace gift from Him. When you pray, do you have tenacity? When you pray, do you have humility? When we pray, do we have that simplicity of, I just want this, this is what I'm asking for, and then be bold about, go on asking? Lord, if you need to change what I'm asking for, change it. That's fine. But Lord, I want you to, Lord, I want to challenge you, church. I want to challenge me to be much more intense in prayer. Let's pray.